This is the message from Connection Community Church for Thanksgiving Eve, November 26th, 2014. because I was going to introduce you to my people, but she did that. So my mom and dad are Jason and Susan Faulkner, and, but there's a, uh, other people in this room that raised me. They're my parents, um, but Craig and Nancy Marker over here and Catherine and David Burke um, all helped shape me into who I am uh, today. I started coming to Connection when I was uh, 14. I had no idea really what a life with Jesus meant, um, but we worshiped in this little space over there. Do you have a name for that now? The Annex, okay. So there was like 40 people who came to church here and we worshiped over there. Um, and I came to know Jesus. Craig Marker led me to Jesus when I was 15 years old at a youth group Christmas party. And then Catherine helped uh, shape me and grow me through the Bible study that Carrie mentioned. So this is my favorite service of all time. I don't know why I love this service so much, except that it's like coming home. So it's fun, it's nice to see your faces and I'm glad to be here. So thanks for having me. Um, we are gonna camp out tonight in Luke chapter 17. I think it will be on the screen, um, but let me go ahead and read that for us. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much that it is your grace that saves and not my representation of you. God, I pray that your spirit would be in this place tonight, God, that we would be focused on the things that you want us to focus on. And God, we pray that your scripture, your holy word, would speak to our hearts this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, we start with ten men who have the worst disease of their day. Uh, the physical ramifications of leprosy are horrendous. Leprosy attacks the body, it leaves sores, missing fingers, missing toes, damaged limbs. Um, in many cases, the initial pain of leprosy gives way to something that's much more terrible than that. It's a loss of sensation in nerve endings, leading to more damage to many more body parts. The disease can take up to 30 years to run its course, and in that time span, entire limbs can fall off of the body. Um, it is assuredly a most horrible disease. We have a nearly impossible task of trying to fathom what that was like 2,000 years ago when medical treatment, as we know it today, was almost non-existent. They were truly outcasts of their society, lepers were. They were literally cast out and sent to live in colonies of lepers, other people just like them. I'm certain that right now you can think of an outcast in your society, that there's someone in your mind who has a touch of this modern-day leprosy that no one wants to be around, no one wants to touch, no one wants to interact with. They were to touch no one and be touched by no one. Today, you've touched more people in an hour than this man has touched in years. Um, today, you've been close to friends or family. 
Um, maybe a child has been in your lap. Maybe a hug met you at the door, especially at this place. This is like the most huggingest church I've ever been in in my life. Um, maybe it was a firmer handshake from a firmer friend, um, but not these guys. They longed for a loving touch more than they longed for food, more than they needed water. These men needed love. And before they were healed, while there was still a tremendous risk, Jesus was willing to do that. The emotional pain of a leper, however, must have been even worse than the physical pain. Um, he was removed from his family, from his entire community. There could be no contact whatsoever with his children or his grandchildren, none. He was instantly removed. His wife wouldn't be allowed to kiss him goodbye. He wouldn't have allowed it for fear that she too would become afflicted. Lepers tended to roam together, looking for food, begging for assistance from a great distance, learning to yell in loud voices, both from the need to warn other people and to beg from help for help from across the way. What would it have been like to be removed from friends and family for a lifetime and to be forced to announce that removal on a daily basis? It must have been horrible. And yet in this account, 10 men encounter Jesus and hear him say the most unusual thing. Have mercy on us, they cry. And they scream it at him. And the great teacher responds, go and show yourselves to the priest. During that time, the local priest had other duties than leading worship on each Sabbath. He was also somewhat of a health official. If a person was miraculously healed of leprosy, um, it was up to the priest to inspect the body, to test for complete removal of the disease, and to announce that person healed. In such cases, the person would have been cleansed, and at that point, it would be okay for the leper to see his wife again, hold his daughter again, to look for work again, only if the priest gave him the okay. Now, Jesus says to these lepers, go and show yourself to the priest. But they look down at their bodies, and the hands of one man are still mangled, and another man looks at his leg, which ends with a filthy rag at the knee. Another looks at his skin, and it's still repulsive as ever. In other words, all of these men were no better than they had been just a few minutes earlier when they spotted the famous teacher. And yet they headed off in search of their priest. And on their way, the scripture tells us, and on their way, they were cleansed. On their way, a hand reappeared, and it tingled with life, and a crutch tripped on a filthy rag, and it fell to the ground, and the leg was back and healthy, whole, complete. The skin cleared, and the tiny hairs on the forearm turned from snow white back to brown. One looked at another, another looked at the rest, and the screaming started. They were rejoicing. The smiles broke into cheering, and a sweet madness occurred. They raced off in the distance, not believing that this nightmare that they were living was actually over. But don't miss this. In order for the miracle to happen, these men had to start walking in faith before their circumstance changed one tiny bit. Is there a more potent lesson for us on this Thanksgiving week? We cannot wait until the problems are over to start walking in faith. We cannot put conditions on a holy God. We cannot say, Lord, when there is enough money, I will follow your instructions. We cannot pray, Lord, if you just solve this issue in my family, I'll serve your church. We cannot put conditions on God. Instead, God places a demand of faith on us before anything at all has changed. God might say, love me despite the disease, obey me despite the lack of talent, 
or the lack of resources. Follow me now despite the depression. Say no to the temptation while it is still difficult. Praise me in the darkest of nights and in the worst of circumstances. This is what we can learn. This is the very nature of God, a God who loves us so much that he'll give us the opportunity to be thankful when nothing in our circumstance gives us that motivation. Nothing. This is the very definition of faith. If we praise God only on the good days, only in the best of circumstances, it wouldn't be faith at all. That would be more like a business arrangement, and this life with the miraculous God is not about business. Some of you are in horrible circumstances right now. Let's be really real about this. And what awaits you today, what awaits you this week, is a forcing of the question, will you be thankful despite the difficult circumstance? If so, you will have experienced faith. While on a short-term mission trip in 1996, Pastor Jack Hinton from New Bern, North Carolina, do you know where that is? Is that a, that's a real place? That's great, because I got this on the internet. Um, <laughs> he was leading worship at a leper colony on the island of Tobango. There was time for one more song, so he asked if anyone had a request. A woman who had been facing away from the pulpit turned around. It was the most hideous face I'd ever seen, Hinton said. The woman's nose and ears were entirely gone. The disease had destroyed her lips as well. She lifted a fingerless hand in the air and asked, can we sing Count Your Many Blessings? Overcome with emotion, Hinton left the service. He was followed by a team member who said, Jack, I guess you'll never sing that song again. And Jack said, oh yes I will, but I'll never sing it the same way. This kind of thankfulness that this woman displayed, this is worship. And this is what I want us to think about tonight. One of the men came back to praise Jesus, and he was thankful, and he was public about it, and he wasn't shy, and he was even loud, the scripture says. Are you the one? Are you the one who is thankful? Friends, our spiritual leprosy should put us in the exact same place. We should be so humble as a result of our own actions that we approach the throne of grace exactly like this man. Why was he so loud? This guy had been forced to yell as long as he'd had leprosy. Had it been years, he probably yelled for so long that he didn't know how to come to the Lord quietly or even in a normal voice. When he came back and fell at the feet of Jesus, he was just louder than the normal person, but he was praising God. This week, let's be sure that we take the time to acknowledge God for his goodness. Be sure to actually be thankful. Be sure to gather everyone up for a prayer of thanksgiving that's a real prayer of thankfulness. Don't miss the opportunity to worship God this week. I realize I'm preaching to the choir. It's Wednesday night. You're all sitting in these chairs. But can we miss it? Sure we can. We can miss it in our daily lives. It's a short week for most people, which means that you might be horribly busy for one, two, or three days. You might have some time off, which probably means that you've got a honey-do list at home, maybe some tasks at church, or some Christmas shopping to get done. I'll be doing that at all the big sales. If you're traveling, you've got to get going. If you're hosting a family, you've got to cook. You've got to get to the grocery store. You've got to call the turkey helpline and remember how to do it again. Um, you have to make it all the way through the week. And is it, is it possible to forget to be thankful? Absolutely. But we can't do that. We have to commit to being thankful. This is worship. This is what we learn God requires of us from this scripture. And let's not miss this. Let's make sure that our thankfulness leads to action. One leper came back, just one. 
one caught himself in the midst of the celebration and returned to Jesus. He reversed his steps. He put his family on hold. He put the priests on hold. And he came back to the cause of the celebration. His response and life situation were unique, but in the simplest sense of what he did, his thankfulness led to action. And that turned out to be very important. Where are the other nine? Jesus asked. Do you realize what this says? Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest. He never commanded that any of them express thankfulness to God or return to him, the healer. Nevertheless, we find out that that's exactly what he expected. What kind of action is Jesus looking for from you? Has God's Holy Spirit been urging you towards some action step? Had the Lord been tugging at you for some time for a step of faith? Is there a family, a friend, or even a stranger in need of help this Thanksgiving season? Is there something that you feel compelled to do? My best advice, based on what Jesus was looking for 2,000 years ago, is to go ahead and take that step. Prayerfully assume that God is pulling you toward that area or that action, and just get it done. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to embrace a burden God has placed on your heart. I've been learning this lesson for many years, and I learn it new every single day. God can take the tiny loaves that we hand him and turn it into baskets and baskets of bread, and he can take our weak need, timid yes to him, and turn it to a life that's filled with glory. Otherwise, a prayer over the Thanksgiving meal will last about as long as the sensation of fullness after the meal. And I'm not sure about you, but no matter how much I eat on Thanksgiving Thursday, I still manage breakfast on Friday. I'm pretty sure you do this. Shouldn't our spirit of thankfulness last longer than that? We have to get it done. Um, I have a unique situation where I am a director of student ministries at a church in North Jersey, which is a mission field. Let me tell you, sometimes I feel like I need my passport to get there. And then the, a lot of the year, uh, at least six weeks of the year, I spend in a developing nation of Haiti. And my first trip to Haiti was a few years ago, and it was horrific. And I had this collide where I loved and hated every single minute. Um, the worst part was getting through the Port-au-Prince airport on the way home. We were very delayed. Men were separated from women. We were searched and searched and searched again. And we were absolutely violated. In America, the things that happened to us would have landed someone on the other side, probably in jail. And it was horrifying. We weren't even on our plane yet because we were still two hours waiting in line to be searched. And it was just there on the runway waiting for us. It was like a big tease, and we could see it. There are UN soldiers everywhere that day. Um, and we knew that something else was happening at the airport, but we didn't know what it was. By the time we got to the plane and got in our seats, I was just crying. I was just sitting in my seat, the little white girl crying on the plane. And I did not want to go back to Haiti at that point. I was over it. Um, I just had the worst and the best week of my life. But that airport made me want to crawl into a cave and never come out. I wanted to stay there. It was nice in the cave. So sitting on the plane, the flight attendant came to our seats because we were the only Americans. And there was one other businessman. I don't know why he was in Haiti. But he was sitting next to us um, to let us know that we were still 90 minutes from takeoff. 90 minutes. So I know that it's not like the worst thing that a human being can be subjected to. Far worse atrocities are committed around this fallen planet every day. Um, but to the 250 people on that plane, 90 minutes will feel like a lifetime. 
to the young mother with the screaming child, two rows back, 90 minutes has been eternity also for me. It felt like eternity. <laughs> to the businessman across from me, 90 minutes meant that he was missing his connection and have to wait another day uh, to see their family. To the girl across the aisle, well, I didn't speak much Creole then, so I wasn't quite sure what was going on with her, but her choice of language suggested something very earth-shattering. And <laughs> I know it sounds a little melodramatic, but if you were on that plane that day, you would feel the tension rising. I can still feel it in my bones a little bit. I'm getting upset. And of course, for me, there's this ever-raging war within. Why is it that the spirit and my will always seem to be in some sort of disagreement? I would like to leave Haiti now, please, at the time that was written on my ticket. Uh, that was just not happening. It feels like I had gone to a corner to pout over my dash plans while the spirit stands, waiting in motherly fashion, hands on hips, saying, this too, Megan, will you not receive all with thanks? Will you not accept all from my hands? Haven't I prepared you for this? Won't you let the seeds of your agenda die and make room for life? No, no, that's not happening. But before I could voice my protest, ladies and gentlemen, the spirit was interrupted by the captain on the intercom, and I was thrilled. And he said, we're leaving, very loud, and this collective celebration breaks out in the cabin. We start moving. We have liftoff. We get some distance. <sighs> yes. There's that beautiful little ocean. Hey, little ocean. I crawl out my window, and I look. Hey, little palm trees. And I have suddenly quite giddy. And wasn't my world on the edge of a meltdown just two minutes ago? It's amazing what some movement will do for your soul, isn't it? A call to thanksgiving is a call to action. We learn that from the leper. He is thankful, and he makes the trek back to Jesus. He's thankful, and he immediately goes right into an action that glorifies God. Are you the one? Will your thankfulness lead to action? Jesus says this, and Jesus says this to a very thankful man, willing to follow God before his circumstances change, to worship God before returning home. Jesus pronounces a complete healing over this man, a wellness that passes all other wellness terms. This man, Jesus says, understands. Do you understand? Are you the one? Are you willing to be thankful? Are you willing to use your thankfulness as an act of worship that leads to action? What about the nine? Well, they don't have any interest in Jesus anymore. They got what they wanted out of him. They have no desire to worship him, no desire to glorify him. Uh, they don't see him as God. They don't fall down and give to him what you only give to God. They don't glorify him as God. And yet we're face to face with this dominant attitude among these people that we see all throughout the ministry of Jesus. We are the people of God and God gives us what we deserve. Our souls are fine. There's no sense of sin. They're like the rich young ruler. No sense of remorse. No sense of desperation. Desperate for God. They're not looking for a savior from sin. These men are looking for a political messiah. They're looking for someone who will feed them food, someone who will heal their disease. They'll take that. They'll take the food. They'll take the healing. But do not expect them to worship. The one, though, he knew he needed a savior. He knew he had come face to face with God, and his soul was traumatized. 
He knew he was a sinner, uh, but he knew that God had showed him mercy, compassion, kindness, and power. He could process the implications of what just happened. The others, hard-hearted, satisfied with themselves, sought nothing more than Jesus. And you know, the sad thing is that he really doesn't have anything to offer us on a permanent basis unless it is eternal life and salvation. And if you don't come to him for that, you cheat yourself out of what he really came to bring for you. I can't help but look at the nine and believe that the Spirit of God would want me to see in those nine the general attitude of people toward Jesus, even God's people. Give us healing, give us food, deliver us from demons, do miracles, but do not expect us to worship you. Do not expect us to fall down at your feet, to give you praise, adoration, and especially do not expect thankfulness. Do not expect us to acknowledge you as God. Listen, this man fell down. The scripture says he fell down on his face, glorifying God. I believe he knew that God was in Jesus, and he worshiped, knowing that worship belonged to God, and he knew that God was the source of the miracle, and he thanked Jesus, and he thanked him, and he worshiped him, and he came back with the right attitude. So while the ungrateful nine illustrate the general attitude of the people, we'll take everything you give, we'll take all the benefits, we'll take all the miracles, just don't expect worship through our thanksgiving. Listen, if Jesus isn't enough for his church, for the nine, or for us, how can we expect him to be enough for the hurting world? Friends, he is enough, and he was enough for the one, for the Samaritan. So whose behavior will you choose to mimic, the nine or the one? What are we disciples supposed to learn from all of this? Perhaps the most obvious is that outsiders are sometimes more responsive than God's own people, and shame on us for that. Let's not be like the nine this year. Let's be like the one. Let's choose to be like the one. Um, I just came back from Haiti. I was there, I don't know when, two weeks ago or something. It's all very confusing. Um, but I was there recently anyway, and uh, our, our home is about two miles from um, our church. And you have to take this gravel road that turns into a nice dirt road that turns into a bad dirt road that goes into our house. And so this is it. This is our house in Haiti and our land. Um, you can kind of see around. So we're coming home on this truck situation. There's 63 orphans, 12 caretakers, and a handful of Americans. And it's really exciting because we're all in two pickup trucks, all of us together. And um, <laughs> it's a great time. I think there was 14 orphans in my lap, and my, my head was in one's armpit. And we're coming down the road. We go down the gravel road. We turn onto um, our nice dirt road, and then we turn onto our really bad dirt road. And as we're turning onto our dirt road, Mami Lajoie, who is the head mommy of the orphanage, starts looking at something, but I can't see because I'm in the middle of an armpit. And she's looking, and she's looking. I'm like, what is she looking at? And she's still looking. And then this murmur happens throughout the bus. And I don't know what they're saying. I can't hear them, and I'm still in the armpit. And so um, that's our orphanage. And you can see the wall. There's a wall behind that palm tree. You see the palm tree? There's a wall behind it. We wall off our property so that no one can camp on it. It's made of cinder blocks. They're about 12 feet high. That's a guess because I have no clue about numbers, but maybe 12 feet high. And then it kind of goes around, but it walls off our entire property. We turn onto our road, and Mami Lejoie goes, Merci, Jay-Z. We're in this truck, and I'm being hit. Merci, Jay-Z. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. Thank you, Jesus. And I looked, and our wall had fallen. We had four walls that go around. Three had fallen during the earthquake. We rebuilt them. And the fourth wall had this lean to it that we were kind of put a, putting Band-Aids on a stitches problem. We had like two by fours that were holding it up. But she was praising God to get that the wall fell. And let me tell you something. If I get home from church one day and the wall to my house had fallen, the last thing I would be saying is thank you, Jesus. That is the last thing that would come out of my mouth. I'm certain probably you too. Um, the last thing. But she said it. Thank you, Jesus. And you see, here's why. Our wall, it's the closest one to the kitchen. It's the closest one to our outdoor kitchen. It's the closest one to where the laundry's done. And let me tell you, when there's 63 kids, 12 caretakers, and a handful of white people, there's a lot of laundry all the time. All there is is laundry, 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 laundry. No one was there because we were at church. God knew that wall was going to fall. We knew the wall was going to fall. We didn't know when. Thank God no one was hurt. A little kid would have died if, if that wall had fallen on them. It's concrete. They would have died. But no one was there. And Mani Lajoie, right away, she was the one. Merci, Jésus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that the wall to her house had fallen. Yes, because no one was there and no one was hurt. Let's thank God in the midst of the times when we don't feel like moving out of our beds. Let's thank God in our diseases, in our messes, in our stubbornness, in our broken walls, and our delayed flights, and our spiritual leprosy. We cannot expect outsiders of the church to act like insiders while insiders are acting like outsiders. We must be thankful. <laughs> Let's show the world that the chains of spiritual leprosy are broken in the church. Let's start a movement of thankfulness that leads to action through worship. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Luke chapter 17. We thank you that you teach us through your word. We thank you that we can learn from your word, God. And I pray in the name of Jesus that we would be people who are thankful, that we wouldn't be thankful for one day or one season, God, but that we would learn from the Samaritan, that we would choose to be like the one. And God, I pray that because of that movement, that people outside of the church would know, God, that they would know that you're real, that they would know that our relationships with you are authentic. God, would you, Holy Spirit, infiltrate every fiber of our beings, God, to be thankful to you. I pray that you would hold captive our thoughts and make us obedient to the things that you have in store for us. God, would you break the chains of spiritual leprosy in your church? And God, would we be people who are thankful and would our thankfulness lead to action through our worship? We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church, please visit our website at connectioncc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash connectioncc. You can also contact our church office at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life he offers.